I greet you in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Lord. Over the past weeks, we've been dealing with feelings, emotions, feelings that we all have from time to time, and how to allow the Lord to control those emotions and use them for his glory. And we dealt with compassion, and we dealt with grief, and then last week, joy. And today, we turn to anger. I'm going to read two portions from the Gospels today. The first coming from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount, beginning with verse 21. And if you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Holy Word. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Then the second portion of Scripture comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated and let us pray. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Give us your word. Lord Jesus, <clears throat> amen. 
As a youngster, 10, 11, 12 years old, I had a paper route. Five afternoons a week, I delivered the Rock Hill Evening Herald to 65 or 70 customers in York, South Carolina. Every afternoon during the week, I'd be out on my bicycle flaming, uh, flinging those papers up on the front porches. I learned a whole lot from being in the paper business. And one of those lessons had to do with anger. I had one problem on my paper route. There was a small feisty dog that belonged to one of my customers and he waited on me every day. I think I was the highlight of his day. And he would run along beside my bicycle, nipping at my heels. And that made me angry. And I wanted to settle accounts with that dog, teach him a lesson. One of my friends told me that one way to fix the problem would be to get a water pistol and put a mixture of water and ammonia in it. And if I would spray the dog, it would not hurt him, but it would sting enough to make him stop chasing me. I thought that was a good idea. So one day I went loaded with my water pistol ready for him. There he was at his usual place waiting on me. And yes, he ran right along beside me, nipping at my heels. And I pointed the water pistol directly at his head. And just before I squeezed the trigger, I ran into the back of a parked car. <laughs> and the next thing I knew, I was lying on the pavement and the dog was licking my face. <laughs> and I concluded right then and there that anger could lead to bad consequences. Sadly, anger is not just a childhood problem. Indeed, it often gets worse, larger, as people get older. Uh, believe it or not, even presidential candidates get angry. One expression of anger is called road rage. Very common, very common. Uh, this is the angry, aggressive behavior of a driver toward other drivers or pedestrians or cyclists. A recent study by AAA found that nearly 80% of all drivers experienced significant anger and aggression at least once in the past year. Now, are you part of that 80%? Unless most of us might be embarrassed, I will not ask for a show of hands on that one. This is the kind of destructive anger that Jesus warned, warned about in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, he who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Jesus here is talking about immoral anger, anger that separates people from God and each other. This is anger that does no earthly good. This is the anger that causes us to say things we ought not to say and do things we ought not to do. Therefore, St. Paul wrote, put off all anger, wrath, and malice. Immoral anger is the heat you feel under your collar when another driver cuts in front of you suddenly without signaling. Immoral anger is the resentment you feel when your spouse won't agree to do whatever it is you want him or her to do. 
Immoral anger causes Republicans to demonize Democrats and Democrats to demonize Republicans. Immoral anger causes a parent to vent his frustration on a child rather than exercise healthy discipline. Immoral anger causes us to keep a careful record of all the times we've been mistreated by other people so that we can even the score when we get a chance. Jesus points out that this kind of anger separates us from God. And in the 23rd verse of Matthew 5, Jesus tells us that if we're getting ready to worship, but then remember that somebody has something against us, we ought to stop, interrupt our worship, leave, go be reconciled with the brother, and then come back and worship. Jesus said it doesn't matter who's at fault for the estrangement. The responsibility of Christians is to take the initiative in bringing about reconciliation. Otherwise, our worship is marred because it's hard to relate to your heavenly father vertically if horizontally you're separated from your brother or sister by anger. Never is the warning about immoral anger more relevant than over the coming days surrounding the election. America is more deeply polarized right now than any time since the Vietnam War. The feelings between some Republicans and Democrats is so close to hatred that it is tearing at the fabric of the nation. And at this critical moment, both before and after the election, we Christians have a duty to de-escalate the animosity. The nation is running a high fever and we Christians are supposed to be a strong spiritual aspirin. After all, on the other side of the election, we must still be one nation under God. Anger can cause us to lose control of ourselves, but with God's help, we can overcome it. Let me give you an example from the life of a pastor. And believe me, pastors have all the temptations and problems that you lay people have. And sometimes I think more. There was a pastor who had a chronic problem with his temper and with his anger. He was prone to explosions. And his wife and young son had often been subjected to these wild outbursts of temper. And the little boy indeed would sometimes hide in a closet and tremble when his father exploded in anger. The pastor sought and received counseling. He asked a group of friends in a fellowship, prayer fellowship group with him to pray for him. And slowly God began to change him at a very deep level. And then one day he faced a real test of his changed temperament. He had a hobby of collecting model trains. And he had found a 50th anniversary Lionel train in mint condition. Very expensive. In fact, he determined he couldn't afford it. But his wife, knowing how much he wanted the train, she juggled the family budget so that they could purchase it. And so it became the prize and the jewel of his collection. And he displayed it proudly in the hobby room up above the carport. And then one day his little boy was playing with that train 
and he accidentally spilled paint remover on it and it ruined the color of the train. And the little boy burst out in tears anticipating his father's explosion. And the father came to see what was wrong. Immediately he sized up the situation and a fierce struggle went on inside him at that moment. But he did not explode as he had done so many times. Instead, he took a deep breath and was quiet for a few moments. And then he said, son, we know this was an accident. And I want you to know this. You are more important to me than all the trains in the world. He embraced his son and they both wept as they experienced the shalom of God's grace. When a Christian invites the Holy Spirit to help control his or her anger, the Holy Spirit diffuses immoral anger. So far, we've been talking about immoral anger, but there's another kind of anger. It's a constructive kind. We sometimes refer to it as righteous indignation. In John chapter 2, Jesus gave us an unforgettable demonstration of constructive anger. The setting was the week of Passover in Jerusalem. Thousands of Jews from all over the world came to Jerusalem for this week of celebration of the time when the Jews were liberated from slavery down in Egypt. And during that week, every adult Jewish male had to offer a sacrifice, an animal or a bird. And the temple authorities had sold exclusive franchises to merchants for selling these animals and birds inside the complex of the temple. And they had a markup going about 60% and the temple authorities got a kickback. Every Jewish male adult had to also pay a temple tax. And this tax had to be paid in local currency, not in foreign money. So money changers were there in the temple too. Again, exclusive franchises from the temple authorities with a kickback. It was a racket. Now, Jesus was angry because poor people were being exploited and they were turning God's holy temple into a, a bazaar. What did Jesus do? He made a whip out of some cords and he started swinging it. Swinging that whip, kicking over tables, shouting, get out of here. You're ruining this holy place. Caused a stampede probably of the cattle and the sheep. Money was spilling out all over the floor and the merchants were diving for it. There's no evidence that Jesus harmed anybody, but he cleaned house. We get another graphic look at Jesus' anger in the third chapter of Matthew of Mark's gospel. Jesus was in the synagogue on a Sabbath day and there were some super religious Pharisees there. One of the reasons they despised Jesus was he did not abide by all of their endless rules and regulations about the Sabbath. Uh, these Pharisees were compulsive rule makers. And instead of celebrating the Sabbath as a great day of rest and worship and renewal, uh, they added so many rules that it turned the day into a burden instead of a blessing. For example, they had a rule that nobody can walk over three-fourths of a mile on the Sabbath. 
they had another rule that if your donkey fell into a well on the Sabbath, you could pull it out. But it was illegal to heal a person of an illness because they regarded healing as work. Ridiculous rules. I was reminded of the Pharisees some time ago when I read a news story about a little first grade boy who kissed a little first grade girl at school. Don't know what got into the little fella, but he just gave her a little peck on the cheek and she seemed to like it. Trouble was the teacher saw it and reported him to the principal. And the principal suspended him for three days for sexual harassment. When there are too many rules and lacking common sense, bad things happen. On this particular Sabbath, the Pharisees came to the synagogue primarily to watch Jesus. And there was a man there who had a shriveled hand. For all we know, the Pharisees may have brought him to the synagogue just to put Jesus on the spot. And Jesus saw through their plan right away. And here we see the boldness of Jesus. I love it. You know, Jesus could have whispered to the man with a shriveled hand, look, meet me after the service. I'll take you outside of town and I'll fix your hand. Oh, no, he didn't do that. He stood in front of that congregation and he said to the man with a shriveled hand, come down here and stand by me. And he said to that congregation, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And then he looked at those Pharisees, I'm sure. The Bible says he looked around at them in anger. They cared nothing about this guy with the shriveled hand. Their lack of concern for him just caused Jesus to burn with anger. Jesus then had the man extend his hand, and it was restored. Like Jesus, we ought to get angry about the things that anger God. Yes, God gets angry. The Bible frequently talks about the wrath of God, the wrath of God. That wrath is not some irrational outburst like you and I sometimes have. Oh, no. The wrath of God is the holy, just revulsion of God against all sin. St. Paul expressed it this way. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For at least the last 75 years in America, there has been a de-emphasis or ignoring or even laughing at sin. And that includes many churches and religious leaders. The late comedian Flip Wilson treated Satan as a comic figure. One of his favorite laugh lines was, the devil made me do it. And when people laugh at something, they seldom take it seriously. God hates sin almost as much as he loves sinners. Here is a sobering and vital truth. All people who do not repent of their sin, the moment after their death will face God's judgment and it is forever. 
If you have not yet repented of your sin, don't go to bed tonight without doing so. You don't have to name every sin. Nobody could. Just say to God, get out on your knees beside your bed and say to God in your own words, Lord, I am just a plain old sinner who deserves your judgment. I dump all of my sin at the foot of the cross, believing that Jesus atoned for my sin when he died there and rose again. That's all you have to do. If you say that prayer sincerely in faith, all your sin is forgiven, wiped off the books, and one day, the moment after your death, the only thing that will be seen on you is that you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Sin always angers God. God hates to see people mistreated, especially the least, the lost, the lonely, and the hurting. The most vulnerable persons in America today are unborn babies. More than 800,000 unborn babies are destroyed every year in America. Abortion is the central moral issue of our time. The Bible says that God is the one who carefully constructs an unborn baby within a mother's womb, and to have that precious creature destroyed, except when a mother's life is directly endangered, angers God and breaks his heart. I do not raise this issue to dump more guilt on people who've had abortions. In fact, I've got good news for you. Abortion is not the unforgivable sin. If you repent of it and turn it over to Jesus, not only will he forgive you, he'll lift the guilt load from your heart and in fact will assure that you that one day in heaven, you're going to be joyfully reunited with that little one whom you never got a chance to see in this world. My purpose is to warn couples and singles about this sin and to remind them that there are thousands of couples out there who are unable to have children and who long to adopt one. Perhaps the greatest singer in the world today, the Italian tenor Andrea Bocelli, was almost aborted. This is the fellow who the singer Celine Dion said that if God had a singing voice, he would sound like Andrea Bocelli. He was almost aborted. Because when his mother was pregnant with him, she was told by her doctors that based on their medical test, that her child would probably have a deformity of some kind. And they recommended abortion. Thankfully, the parents refused to go along with the advice of the doctor. Just imagine what the world would have missed if those parents had listened to the advice of the doctor. Since the Supreme Court decision of 1973, Roe v. Wade. Over 61 million little unborn American babies have been destroyed. 
No one but God knows how many great singers and scientists and statesmen and preachers were in that 61 million. We ought to be angry about the things that anger God. It ought to make us angry that some American leaders today try to divide our country along racial or gender or income lines. It ought to make us angry that in America, a child or a teenager is killed by gunfire every two hours and 34 minutes. It ought to make us angry that in America, the institution of marriage is being distorted, redefined, and often regarded as unimportant. It ought to make us angry that some people ignore the COVID-19 threat and put vulnerable people at risk. Yes, some things ought to make us angry, but it's not enough just to be angry for the right reason. It's necessary that we do something constructive about it. And that's what some of our church members here at Mount Horeb are doing. We've got some of them who are angry about the awful condition of our prisons in South Carolina. And so they have uh, joined a ministry to prison inmates. Other members of this church have joined the fight against human trafficking and certain other ministries. There are some Christians in South Carolina who peacefully protest outside abortion clinics and others extend assistance to pregnant women who feel unable or unwilling to rear their children. It's not enough to feel anger for the right reason. We must do something about it. When I was pastor in Memphis, there were a number of X-rated dance clubs in that city, which featured young women dancing semi-nude, and it was generally known that prostitution was also offered in these places. And for some reason, the law enforcement people turned a blind eye to the whole thing. Many of these young dancers were underage. Many of them had uncertain immigration status. Many of them were addicted to alcohol or drugs supplied by their bosses. Well, some young women in our church got angry about the exploitation of these young dancers, and they decided to do something about it. So they organized a rescue mission, raised a lot of money. They printed out cards, which they distributed to the dancers, and the card said, if you want to get out of the dance club business, call this number. And when a dancer called that number, two women from our church would meet them in a safe location and take the young lady to an apartment where she could not be reached by her boss. They would furnish what she needed for living expenses. They would get her alcohol and drug abuse treatment if she needed it. They would sponsor her for vocational training and then help her get a job. And in the process, they also shared Jesus Christ with her and connected her to a local church. Now, that's what it means to feel holy anger and do something about it. 
The purpose of this message today is to call all of us to do some self-analysis, to take stock of ourselves. All of us feel anger from time to time. Is that anger honoring Christ or Satan? Is it destructive or constructive? Would you be willing to join with me in prayer that God would redeem our anger and make it serve the kingdom of God? Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, we confess that often our anger has separated us from you and other people. Please forgive our immoral anger and assist us in gaining control over it. Transform our anger into righteous indignation. Harness it and make it serve your purposes. Make us angry about the things that anger you and then give us the courage to do something about it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.